1: For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the teaching pastors here uh, at the church, and it is my uh, great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The approval of others is a very, very powerful thing. The approval of others is a very, very powerful thing. When you, when you have the approval of others, you, you feel great. And, and when you don't have the approval of others, you, you feel terrible. To, to be able to enter into social situations that are comfortable, where you agree with the people around you and they agree with you, there's, there's a great sense of, of comfort in having the approval of your coworkers, of having the approval of your friends and family, uh, of just knowing that, that we're all on the same page. Some of us actually crave the approval of others. We, we need it. We, we have to have it. If, if somebody doesn't approve of us, there, there's this great sense of anxiety. That, that, that little people pleaser that lives inside of you comes out, and, and you start to think, what, what do I have to do to be accepted by these people? I need their, I need their approval. For, for some people, it's a, it's a great drive. But listen, for every single one of us, there is a tiny little people pleaser that lives on the inside of us that says, don't stir up controversy don't disagree, don't contradict, go with the flow. They're, that lives in, inside of us all. And so if approval of others is your deepest desire, here's what you must never do. You must never tell people that they are wrong. You must never tell people what they ought to do. You must not hold yourself to a higher moral standard than them. You see, if if approval of others is your deepest desire, then you must engage in the same activities as everyone around you. You must laugh at the same jokes as everyone around you. And you must watch the same shows as everyone around you. But listen, church family, as Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians, the approval of others is not our highest desire. The reason being, we have the approval of Jesus Christ. We have the approval of God the Father. We have the approval of the Holy Spirit because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And by our faith in him, we are now approved in the sight of God. And so we don't have to keep the approval of others, the approval of people at the top and pinnacle of our lives. We we don't have to be ruled by it. We don't have to be driven by it. As a matter of fact, but we're not even out of the gate yet. But if you're taking notes, you want to write something down. You can write this down sometimes we must risk being liked because of how much we love. Sometimes we must risk being liked. And if you go into your family, if you go into your workplace, if if you go out into this world and you proclaim that sin is sin, you will risk being liked. But we must call sin, sin in order to show a lost and dying world how much we love them. And so you might risk you might risk being liked. You might risk the approval of others if you if you say sin is sin. If, if if you say, look, this relationship is bad for you. If you say that to a friend, you're gonna risk. You're gonna risk being liked. If if you say to 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 someone the way that you talk to your spouse sometimes that doesn't really um, glorify God, you're going to risk being liked. If you tell someone that the judgment of God is coming, you are going to risk being liked. But, church family, it is, it is absolutely what we must do today. In our text, Peter lays aside the desire to be liked by everyone. Peter says something that is incredibly hard to say. Peter steps in with boldness. Peter steps in with courage. And he says something that is insanely controversial. He tells people that what they are doing is wrong. In the the world and the context in which we live today, if you tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, that is incredibly controversial. We we live in a world today where it is no longer allowed to disagree with someone's lifestyle. We we are being asked to affirm all lifestyles. We are being asked to affirm all sexual preferences. And as Christians, we simply cannot do that. And so not only does Peter say that what they are doing is wrong, Peter takes it a step even further and, and pushes himself into more controversy because not only does he say what they're doing is wrong, he says that God is going to punish them for it. Friends, this is... This is incredibly controversial, what what he has to say, specifically with the subject matter in particular in which he is dealing with. Just look at the middle of verse 10. What what he says uh, is that what he's dealing with is specifically sexual sin, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. He is condemning sexual immorality. Let us just get a working definition of that. When we say sexual immorality, we mean any type of sexual conduct outside of the confines of a covenant marriage between one man and one woman. Any sexual conduct outside of a covenant marriage between one man and one woman is sexual immorality. Clearly, that is what the Bible teaches. Peter says that this is sin, and not only does he say that it is sin, but he says that God's wrath is coming for those, for the sexually immoral. You might look at Christianity and, and say, we're, we're a bunch of old fuddy duds. We have this, this, this Puritan idea of, of, of sexuality and, and, and the church is being asked to be more modern and adopt um, more uh, nuanced and, and new modern views of sexuality. But listen, this, <laughs> free sex and open sexuality, that's not a new idea. It's as old as the Old Testament, and that's exactly what Peter is dealing with in our text today, and that's why it is so incredibly relevant for us. If, if you've been here with us at all, you you know uh, that as we've studied um, Second Peter, what we've discovered is Peter is fighting against false teachers. False teachers have come into the church— And they have begun to preach an anti-gospel, something antithetical, something opposite of the gospel. And particularly what they have pinpointed is this idea that Jesus is not going to return. That's what they're telling people. They're teaching that in the church. Jesus is not going to return. And, And since they're teaching that Jesus will not return, what that means is there will not be a coming judgment day. And if there's not a coming judgment day, you can do with your body whatever you like. This is the false, heretical teaching uh, that had come into the church. And so this is what Peter is battling against in this letter and particularly in our section today. And so I just want to give you the big idea of the text. I want you to know that what I'm about to say is culturally unpopular, um, that what I'm about to say is culturally offensive, that some will label it uncaring, some will label it unloving, some will even label it hate speech, but it is the exact opposite. It, it is not hate speech. It is loving when you warn someone of the coming judgment and wrath of God. Here's the big idea of our text today. If you're, if you're taking notes, just plain and simple, cut and dry, here it is. Ignore God's law and endure the coming wrath. Ignore God's law and endure the coming wrath. Or make Jesus your king and be rescued. From the coming wrath. Now I'm not not saying. uh, Check a box on a card that says you want to be saved. I'm not saying just come down one time. Come down front one time and pray with the preacher and cry. I'm not saying carry your Bible to church. I'm not saying that you show up every Sunday. I'm not saying that you spend all kinds of time in prayer. None of those things work it's not works that saves you it's making jesus your king you have to make jesus your king your ruler your savior your lord you have to give everything all to him jesus says if anyone would come after me he must lay down his life he must take up his cross and follow me jesus isn't asking for some of your life he's not asking for a little bit jesus is asking for it all in order and in order to be saved from the coming wrath we must make jesus our king he must be the king of our lives and I think that you'll you'll see that <clears throat> very clearly in this text. And so church family th- listen, this is why we preach through books of the Bible the way that we do. Th- this text is unpopular, this text is difficult, but it is so very clear yeah. that he is speaking of the judgment of God. And so we preach through books of the Bible because when we come to hard to preach texts we don't skip over it. We don't jump over it. We, we preach through books of the Bible. When we come to these difficult texts, we, we approach them with respect. And we preach what God's word says even when it's hard to preach and even when the culture in which we live radically and wholesale disagrees with us. That's okay. We'll stand with God's word. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so here's what we've been doing um, as a church. We we take a particular text and we, we fly over the text at 30,000 feet, uh, basically looking down at the geography of it to get a big idea of the text. Then we kind of land the plane and work through bit by bit through that particular text. And so that's what we will um, seek to do this morning. So uh, let's take a look at the flyover, the, the big idea of, uh, of this text. Now, what Peter is doing in this text is he is appealing to uh, the very nature of God. If this is what God has done in the past, then this is what God is going to do in the future. If this is what God was like then, this is what God is going to be like now. And it's a series of if, 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 then statements. Okay, So, so just look at it quickly. If, 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 then you have this big down here, this big then lines of evidence, right? All of the evidence is, is kind of preceded by ifs. If this, if this, if this, then you can conclude this, then, okay? So let, let's, let's be a little bit unorthodox this morning and start at the bottom of this and work our way up, okay? Uh, because I think it'll be more helpful for us to really get a grasp on, uh, on this text. So let's just look at the two conclusions um, it, where he lands. Conclusion number one, The first conclusion is this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue you, us Christians, from the impending wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming. It is a Mack truck driving straight at us at 100 miles an hour, and the Lord knows how to rescue us away from that. That's the conclusion. His second conclusion is is this. Not only does he rescue... the the godly from trials, but he also keeps the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Just as sure as you can be that the day of judgment is coming, you can be just as sure that God rescues. And just as sure that you are that God rescues, you can also be just as sure that judgment is coming. Those are his two conclusions. God rescues and judgment is coming. Now, here are the, the lines of evidence. So conclusion one is what? That the Lord knows how to rescue. How how do we know that God knows how to rescue? Uh, Well, uh, because he preserved Noah. If God preserved Noah, then he'll preserve us, right? Right. Uh, How how else? Well, um, uh, if he rescued righteous Lot, if he rescued Noah from from the flood, that that wrath that poured down on the world through a flood, then he can rescue you. If he rescued Lot when, when God rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, if, if he rescued Noah and he rescued Lot, he can rescue you. Well, what about the judgment part? Well, if God did not spare angels, meaning he judged them, judgment came upon these angels, well, then judgment is coming for the ungodly. Oh, what about this one? If he didn't spare the ancient world, I mean, he, he judged, judgment came to the ancient world, why would you think that judgment isn't coming to this world? Or how about this? Um, uh, if he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, why why wouldn't you think he'll he'll turn our modern cities to ashes? So it's it's an if then proposition leading to these two great conclusions that the Lord knows how to rescue, and judgment is coming. Okay, that's the big idea of the text. Now let's let's get to work because we have uh, some serious work to do. Amen. Yeah. This is serious work this morning. Looking at this topic of the judgment, the impending judgment of God. Second Peter chapter two, I'm beginning in verse four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Let's stop right there. This is a very curious verse. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the the Bible has some verses in it that is very hard to understand. Uh, This is one of them. The reason being, uh, as we open up, it says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, what's the question we should ask of the text? What sin did the angels commit? Uh, Well, the knee-jerk reaction should be to say, well, they sinned in their rebellion uh, as they followed Satan against God. Well, that would be a good knee-jerk reaction, but upon further study, you would discover that that's not necessarily what he's referring to, okay? So um, here's what we're about to do. Everybody could just look right up here. Um, This is the pastor acknowledging that I'm about to take us down a rabbit trail, okay? I know it. I'm just saying it out loud right now. We are going down this rabbit trail, and sadly, I don't think we're even going to catch the rabbit. But we're going down the rabbit trail, and so you can totally black out if you want to, and I'll tell you when, we're, when we get back on course, but we're going to chase this rabbit just for a moment uh, because I think it's important for us to at least try to understand this, uh, and then we'll come back. We're, we're going we're to go down this rabbit trail, and I'm, I'm going to end up saying I'm not really sure, but then I'm going to come back and say here's what we do know. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so we know that Second Peter has a sister text. Okay, 2 Peter has a sister text. Um, that is the book of Jude. Now, if you look at Jude and you look at 2 Peter, they are they're almost identical. I mean, there's so many verses that line up verse for verse, line for line. <clears throat> now, if you go to this particular parallel text in Jude, uh, just go ahead and go to Jude 1 uh, 6 through 7. So if you have your, if you're old school and you got your, your paper Bible, you'll find First, 2nd, 3rd John after. <clears throat> after 2 Peter, and then you'll land in Jude, okay? So Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And the angels, okay, so this is the sister text, this is the parallel text that we find in Jude. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but le- left their proper dwelling, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Sounds just like what we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, look at that word likewise, it refers back to the angels, the aforementioned angels, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. So the sin of the angels was sexual immorality. That's what, second, that's what he's referring to in 2 Peter. So now we must ask the question, where in the Bible does it talk to us about angels committing sexual sin? Well, now it's, I mean, we're getting even deeper into the weeds, but we're going, here we go. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> when man begun to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, listen to this, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, uh, for he in his flesh his uh, days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward and the sons of god came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them these were the mighty men who were of old the men of renown now this term in genesis chapter 6 verse 2 the sons of god is also used to refer to angels uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament. And so some uh, understand this text to say that these fallen angels uh, took on human bodies, had sexual relationships with women uh, that bore these giants called the Nephilim. And so in Second Peter, this is the sexual sin that he's referring to. It also makes sense that this account is what Peter is discussing because, as it, so in our text in 2 Peter, he refers to the sin of the angels, and the very next thing he refers to is the flood. Look in Genesis, we're in Genesis chapter six where it talks about these angels, and then the very next thing that is talked about in Genesis chapter six is the flood. <clears throat> so is that the sin uh, of the angels? I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's a really good thought, um, but this is, look, here's why I'm not sure. I am not sure because 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is a confusing text. The sin of the angels, it doesn't make clear what that is. And then also Genesis chapter 6, this text is also kind of unclear. So we're taking an unclear text to describe or explain another unclear text. I don't know. I know that the angels sinned. That's what I do know. Okay, so rabbit trail officially over. We're back. Okay, we made it. We made it back. Okay, now let's get back into our text um, because look at it. Look at it. Uh, Verse 4, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, some type of sexual sin that, that the angels committed, but he cast them into hell. This is an argument from greater to lesser. Do you see the argument there? The angels, these, these mighty warriors, these beautiful beings with wings that, I mean, like the, these creatures, anytime in the Bible, when anybody sees an angel, they fall down to their face in terror. That's how, that's how magnificent and glorious angels are. They're, they're almost, you could say in some way, angels are like the pinnacle of God's creation. And what he's saying is, if God did not spare the angels when they sin, what makes you think he's going to spare you? If judgment fell on them, judgment will fall on you if you walk in sexual sin. That is what the text is saying, and that is what we can be sure of, and that is, that is what we know. Verse 5, <clears throat> if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, when seven others, um, the seven others there refers to uh, Noah's three sons and their wives, Uh, plus Noah's wife, that makes seven, and he and Noah makes eight. A herald of righteousness when seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. When it says the ancient world, um, he's referring to the the pre-diluvian world, or uh, the world before the flood, or the world as we know it in between Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter six. That that ancient world, he did not spare them, is what the Bible says. But he preserved Noah, a herald, a herald of righteousness. This this godly man that that obeyed God and building this giant boat. You, you can imagine people coming by Noah and saying, what's with the boat? <laughs> and Noah begins to say, oh, oh dear brother, oh, oh friend, there, there is an impending judgment of God coming, repent and be saved. Don't, don't, don't you know that, that the God of the universe has placed demands on our lives and because he is creator God, he has the right To put demands on our lives. And so our bodies belong to him. They they don't belong to us. And so we must obey him even when it concerns our own sexuality. And, And just like when we say that in our day, in Noah's day, they laughed. They mocked him. They mocked the fool building the boat in the desert. And church family, if you go and you proclaim an impending judgment and wrath of God that is coming, you will be mocked. You will be laughed at. P- people will think that you are a fool. But, but Noah here is this herald of righteousness because he is calling people. He is calling people to repentance. And if you call people to repentance, you may not always get their approval. If approval of people and approval of others is your highest desire, then you will never do the loving thing, which is call people to repent. Look at what this says. A herald of righteousness when seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. We've got to erase out of our mind this Sunday school understanding of Noah and the ark. The, the cute little pictures. They're, they're on the boat. They're smiling. The giraffe, his head is sticking out of the top of the boat. The giraffe is smiling. The hippo, he's over here. He's smiling. Everybody's smiling. They're looking for the rainbow. They're sending out doves. They're holding hands. We've got to push that over here and understand what really took place on that day. God, let me say this in as stark and straightforward terms as I can, There were wicked and evil people on the planet who ignored God, his ways, and his rule, and he drowned them. I was once talking with a man, and he said, what do you do for a living? And I told him I'm a preacher, and uh, he gave me the normal response that I get. People usually laugh and say, no, what do you really do? I said, no, I uh, planted a church, I'm a Bible teacher. And he says, you don't don't preach that hellfire and brimstone, do you? Again, asking the question in such a way where he he was wanting me to say, oh, of course not. But I said, our heart is to teach the Bible. And where the Bible talks of hellfire and brimstone, I hope I have the courage to do the same. This is a text about the wrath of God coming upon those who... Who are ungodly. This, what we see, what Peter is referring to in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 is a picture of an angry God who punished wicked people who ignored him. Let that sober us this morning. Let that sober us. That yes, he is a God of love, but he is also a God of wrath who pours out his wrath upon the ungodly. So yes, yes, Noah was a herald of righteousness, and the flood, he poured a flood upon the world of the ungodly. But he preserved Noah. Yes, yes he poured out wrath, but he is also a God of love who preserves his children, who preserves his line and lineage so that his glory might be known in all throughout the world. He is a great Great God, not one to be trifled with, but he is a great, great God. Here's what we must understand on that great flood day. God made a promise to never, ever flood the earth again. And so there will never be a flood like that. But church family, there is something that is coming that is like it. It is not of water, but it is of fire. This is exactly what 2 Peter uh, refers to in 2 Peter 3, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Let us read this in, in fear and in terror, church family, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perish. He's talking about Genesis 6 and 7, but by the same word, the same word, the same God that calls the deluge. By that same words, the heavens and the earth that exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. As a a preacher this morning, I say this to you in fear and in trembling. In, In the depths of my heart, I am scared because I know the judgment of God is coming. And in fear and trembling, I call to you today, if you are not a Christian, you must repent. You must turn away from ungodly ways. You must give yourself and your life to the king of all the world, the king of all the universe, which is Jesus Christ. You must turn from sinful and ungodly ways of life and follow him with everything that you have. So that on that great day of wrath, you will be counted among the children and not with the enemies. If you're taking notes, you have two choices. Pay for your sins by facing the coming wrath of God on judgment day or surrender your life to Jesus and be saved. Verse six. Verse six. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. You know this story from Genesis chapter uh, 19, 18 and 19, where it walks us through um, the, these angels who seemingly put on uh, human bodies because when they enter into Sodom and Gomorrah, people don't automatically fall down in terror. These two angels enter into the city of Sodom, and there is Lot, a man named Lot there in the city, and he begs, he begs them to, uh, to come and stay at his house, and they say, no, we'll, we'll sleep in the city square, we're fine. Lot presses them, no, no, you don't, you cannot, you cannot sleep in the city square. And so they, they oblige him, and these two angels enter into the house of Lot, and then the Bible records that every male to the man in that city, old men and young men, surrounded that house and began to pound on the door and demand that Lot send out those two angels so that all of the men of the town, from young to old, would have relations with them. And Lot refused. Lot refused to, to send them out. And they began to beat on the doors as to tear it down. And the angels struck them with blindness. Blindness. And, and even though they were struck with blindness, they did not return home. The text tells us that they, they wore themselves out searching for the door, groping for the door so that they might do this sinful and shameful act. That very next morning, the two angels literally drag Lot, his wife, and his daughter out of the city before God rains down fire and sulfur from heaven and destroyed those wicked, evil, sinful people. If you're taking notes, God punishes those who walk in habitual, unrepentant, sexual sin. I'm using these two words. Listen, church family, you need to hear these two. These two are so important to this. These two are so important. When we say habitual, we mean sexual sin that repeats itself. It's a continuing pattern in your life. It's a continuing pattern. Not only is it a continuing pattern, but it is also unrepentant. You are doing this sexual sin and you do not care for those people who have entered into that type of sexual sin where it is repeated and they do not care, they do not feel burdened for it, God punishes them. Because God is the creator of all things everywhere. And whenever you create something, you own that thing and you have the right to place demands upon it. Listen to me, we never say this in anger. We never, listen to me, Christians, we never say that with a sense of pride. Oh, we're not like them. We're not like those people. Those people who have that sexual orientation. We're so much better. Absolutely not. That is anti-gospel and and, and opposed to the cross of Jesus Christ. We, We say we've been saved by grace alone. And 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 we too are are broken sexually and need Jesus to come and heal us. Yeah. Just like the lost and dying world that that is around us. So God destroys these cities and and you might ask how in the world can God a loving God destroy cities, destroy people, rain down fire. I mean, this is a loving God. How could it not be? Well, we'll look back <clears throat> at the verse. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned, condemned them to extinction. Listen to this. This is, why, this is why a loving God can destroy cities, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah stand as a pile of ashes to say to a lost and dying world, come to a God that will love you and be rescued. Here is God the Father with open arms showing you Don't go down the path they did. Don't do the things they did. Don't accept the cultural practices that they accepted. Come to a God who loves you. Come to a God who has a plan for your sexuality, which actually leads you to ultimate human flourishing. That's God's plan for sexuality, is for you to have ultimate human flourishing, for you to experience sexuality with joy and peace and harmony in the context of marriage with one man and one woman. That's what God wants for you. He says, don't go down that pathway. And if you have gone down that pathway, there is love, there is forgiveness, There's forgiveness, there's hope, there's healing, and there's restoration in the arms of the Father. Okay. Verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for this righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. If you you go back and read Genesis and the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at this verse, and and if he rescued righteous Lot, righteous, you you almost want to read it with a question mark. Righteous Lot? He wasn't, wasn't very righteous. First off, what was he doing in Sodom? Second off, when the angels tell him, um, this whole place is going to be destroyed. He lingers. He stays. He doesn't want to leave. The angels literally drag Lot out of the place. After the city is destroyed, uh, Lot goes into the mountains and, and gets drunk. Lot was not perfect. But look at, look at the reason he is able to be called righteous. Look at the verse. And if righteous lot, why was he righteous? Well, because he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Sin bothered him. Was he perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. Christian here this morning, do, do you have all your ducks in a row? No. Does your pastor have it all put together? No. But there must be in us a a distressing and anguishing over our own sin and also over the sin of our culture. Yeah. Does the sin of our culture bother you? What's happening is, is, is our culture is trying to normalize sexual immorality. We put it in our music. We put it in our television shows. We put it in our movies, and, it, and it's pushed to us so that we would see it and, and it would be normalized. And then so, so we become the weird ones. We become the strange ones that that, 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 that we're like, wait a second, God says that this is wrong. God says not to do this. God has a much better plan. And they go, what are you talking about? This is what everybody does. These are the practices that everybody accepts. We're not the weird ones. You're the weird ones. Look at, he was, and, and if righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul is your soul tormented over what's happening are you pleading with god to come and and bring a revival that would sweep through our nation and cleanse us of sexual immorality does it torment you does it bother you to see television show after television show after song after song after movie after movie filled with this idea of 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 an inappropriate sexuality being presented to us as normal does that torment you like it like a tormented, like a tormented lot. Are you distressed over these things? Look at the last two verses here. Then <clears throat> this is such good news this morning. In, in a whole section about the judgment of God, the impending wrath that is to come, look at verse 9. We our, our heart should swell with joy. We should stand and shout almost literally at verse 9 then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. The, the, the wrath of God is bearing down on an ungodly world, an ungodly culture, and there's this sense of fear that might come over us that we might be swept away with the whole thing. But that is not the case at all. That is not the case. God has preserved away. God has made away. He has sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins so that by that pathway we might be rescued. The cross turns into the ark. The, the angels, the, the cross turns into the angels that drags us out of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what the cross is. A way has been made for us to be saved. He knows how to rescue. He, he is the rescue expert. While the text speaks of an impending doom, it also offers a way to be saved. The Lord knows how to rescue. He is the great rescuer. He is the rescue expert. Just as sure as you can count on a coming judgment, you can count on your rescue. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you might be looking at these verses here. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. And he also says... The other, the other conclusion is that he knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, this day of judgment that's coming. You, if you've studied this letter at all with this, you know that Peter is aging as he writes this. Is, is this just the ramblings of an old grumpy man? Right? He, he's just old and angry and, you know, God's going to get you people. Well, if, if Peter's words here don't convince you, just listen To the words of our Lord Jesus who says this Matthew 10 verse 28 and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul listen to the words of Jesus now rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell this is the same man who says love your neighbor as yourself This is the same man who gives us all these great commandments to love one another. He is also the teacher who teaches clearly the doctrine of the judgment of God. We cannot say this is just a Petrine theology, this is just a Pauline theology. No, this comes from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we to do with this doctrine? This doctrine of judgment which we've been discussing this morning, what are we we to do with it? How are we to understand this this great wrath of God that poured itself out as a flood and killed people? This this wrath of God that poured itself out on on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and it killed people? This wrath of God that has these angels and chains, what, what are we to do with it? I'll close with three thoughts here. First thought is this, the doctrine of final judgment is not a stick to beat people into submission, but as fuel for gospel-centered evangelism. We do not take the doctrine of the judgment of God and say, you gotta obey, do right, be better. God is gonna get you. No, 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 no. That, that is a totally and wholly inappropriate understanding of the judgment of God. This is why I find it completely, completely out of context when, when people stand on a street corner and yell at people that they're going to hell. I find it completely out of context. I find it in, in, in such a way that it's incredibly unloving. And so we, we don't take it and use this, this doctrine of the judgment of God and, and say, you obey or God's going to get you but rather it fuels us for gospel-centered evangelism, yeah. meaning we begin with the fact that the Lord knows how to rescue. Yeah. The Lord knows. I, listen, friend, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that you're likely in it, and God can rescue you from it. He rescued me, right? That, that's, and how he did it was his death, burial, resurrection, like Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. That's how you can be saved. That's how you can be rescued. This is great news. That's totally different than you better get your life together or God's going to get you. Yeah. That was two totally different messages which I, just, which I just spoke. There's this idea that in order to really accept someone, you must approve of their behavior. And, and this is the idea that our culture is pushing upon us. If you're really going to accept someone, you have to approve of their behavior. And that is so incredibly untrue. You can accept someone without approving of their behavior. You you can love someone of a different sexual orientation. You can have them to your house. You can have dinner with them. You can be friends with them. You can spend time with them. You can build relationships with them and be a friend to that person in every sense of the word without, without approving of their behavior. And so we must learn to build relationships with people, cultivate relationships with people, so that we might have an opportunity to share the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Second thought the doctrine of final judgment is not a tool to leverage someone into guilt, but a platform from which to plead with tears. We're not saying, listen, there's a, a judgment day coming where everything that you've ever done will be exposed. And everybody's going to know and God's going to know. And that, that's push, that's using judgment to leverage someone into guilt. We're not trying to leverage anyone into guilt. We, we want to use this doctrine of judgment to plead with tears. Oh, please turn. Don't you know God's got a much better plan for your life here and now? And he's got a plan for your life for forever and eternity with him. And, and, and if not there's there's this judgment that's coming and I don't want that for you you plead you plead with tears you plead with tears lastly the doctrine of final judgment is not a means of superiority but a daily reminder the grace of God we're not, we're not better again why why are, why do we get to call ourselves Christians and they don't well, it's because we're elected by God. God chose us. God saved us. God chased us down. And, and we want more than anything to, for them to be in with us, not because we're some type of spiritual elite, but, but because God has saved us. God has rescued us. It's all a work of God. And so there is no superiority in this at all. We're, they're the judged ones. God's going to burn them all up, and we're going to be awesome because you know, we're so spiritual. And absolutely not. Right? Absolutely not. We have to understand that that this is grace, that when we read of the doctrine of judgment, we understand the doctrine of the coming judgment. We understand that we are only here, we are only in, by grace and grace alone. And that's how, that's how we understand. So again, just before we close, I'll plead with you once more. Just, I'm going to plead with you just once more. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer, I I beg you, I beg you, escape, escape from the wrath of God, escape from that horrible judgment day which is coming. The Lord Jesus said it was coming, the prophets of old said it was coming. We stand upon the apostolic authority which says that day is coming. Just as sure as I am standing here now, the day of judgment is coming. Escape friends, escape. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Escape the coming wrath of God by placing your faith, your hope, your love, and your trust into our King Jesus, by understanding that his work on the cross, his death, his shed blood covers your sins, and by faith on him, you can be saved from the wrath of God. I beg and plead with you this morning you're not a Christian become one today if you don't know how to do that I'll be in the back I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian and to escape the wrath of God I'll close with how I began ignore God's law and endure the coming wrath or make Jesus your king and be rescued from the coming wrath let's pray Oh Lord, we're fearful. We're fearful, hopefully, in a, in a holy way, not in an unholy way. But we're fearful of that great coming day. We're fearful for our friends who don't know you. We weep over our family that doesn't know you. We weep over our coworkers that don't know you. Oh God, build up in us a mighty fuel for evangelism that the only way that they would enter into hell would be by stepping over us as we lay on the floor and weep. Oh Lord, make evangelists of us. Make us grace warriors because of this doctrine. Let pride not creep into our hearts because of this doctrine. And Lord, let us forever and continually warn those who are lost of this coming day. Let us not follow the false teachers, but let us stay true to you until that great day when you would come and you would make all things new. We ask all these things in the mighty in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.